passion in his or her life. People who are full of passion and drive are people who will accomplish the impossible. People who are full of hunger and desire are those people who refuse to quit regardless of the obstacles and challenges that life brings to them. Some people's lives seem to be driven with some event of great crises. And some of them thrive on the calamity. No people like that. While some of us challenge the status quo, and it's those of us that change the unchangeable, we destroy the lukewarmness in our lives. We reach beyond today and into tomorrow, with, which ultimately affects eternity. Sam Walter Foss said, Bring me men to match my mountains. Bring me men to match my plains, men with empires in their purpose and new eras in their brains. My desire is for Grace Church to come together again, to be born again with a new desire, a new passion to achieve more and accomplish more than we ever have for the kingdom of God in the face of conflict and trial. Praise the Lord. It's time for... Everybody listen to Pastor. It's time for our attitude to change and look our problems in the eye and declare the absolute power of God and to allow God to take charge through us. Somebody needs to do that right now. It's time for an attitude change. We're not on the losing side of this We're on the winning side of this. God has the church in the palm of His hand. And I'm glad to be a part of it. Somebody shout, yes! We never see Elijah, the man we just read about, when he is not subject to some element of passion. He may be in a moment of sadness, dejection, and despair. He may be praying and reaching and preaching. He may have a heart full of love for God and a hate for sin. He may have a heart full of scorn for Ahab and a sympathy for Israel. A heart of excitement, but also at times of heart of discouragement. Elijah, the Bible said, was a man of passion just like we are. The background of this text that we read today out of the Scripture um, is one of Israel's boldest, most daring prophets. Three and a half years earlier, Elijah marched into the throne room of Ahab, if you will, in the capital city of Samaria, which is northern Israel. And he said, no rain is coming out of heaven until I say otherwise. Israel's sin of idolatry, backsliding, and waywardness from God would cause a famine in the land. I want to say in passing... I wonder what it would be like in America today if the church could really rally behind the cause of revival. I'll preach on. That didn't do really well, so we'll just preach on. No rain would create a famine in the land. And in the Bible, famine is oftentimes a judgment that comes from the hand of God. In the last three and a half years, Elijah has had some times of great communion with God, great prayer times. He was truly a man of faith. Elijah had a vision. After three and a half years of drought, that vision would call not just for rain, 
but for an abundance of rain. Now the interesting thing is that immediately after God spoke to Elijah about God saying he would bring rain, there would be three and a half years before it came. What a paradox. God steps into the middle or the beginning of a famine and promises a flood. God steps into famine and promises flood. It's when what you hear isn't what you see. God has a way of stepping into the bleakest situation and promising abundance. I don't know that you folks have caught up with me yet or not, but we've been through a tough time for the past couple of three months. Granted, it could have been a lot worse, but nobody's been real happy with the past couple of three months, but it's just like God to step right in the middle of that and say, you know what? I'm going to pour out my spirit like you've never seen before. And we're walking around saying, where, where, where? I'm telling you today, I'm preaching to you in the name of Jesus that what I hear is not what I see, but I can tell you rain and an outpouring of the Holy Ghost is coming. Hallelujah. In fact, it's in those times that God chooses to work the most often because when God brings flood out of a drought or feast out of famine, everybody knows it was God that did it. It was to Gideon that God said in Judges chapter 7 verse 2, the Lord said unto Gideon, the people that are with thee are too many. Your army's too big for me to work. What kind of logic is that? God whittled that down to what, 300 men? And what an amazing victory. And everybody knew it wasn't Gideon and it wasn't the army. It was God. I feel the Holy Ghost here today. I hate we're doing that pulled pork now, Mark Wheeler. It's just messing me up really bad. Right? We're going to preach on. If you want to go eat, go eat. I'm going to preach for a little while. It was Jairus' daughter that Jesus allowed to die. It was Jairus' daughter that Jesus allowed to die so he could raise her from the dead. God delights in working where men can't. God delights in bringing answers to situations that are impossible to us. God delights in doing what man says can't be done. He said, I will not share my glory with anybody else. God specializes in the impossible. But Jesus beheld them and said unto them, With men, this This is impossible, but with God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Sometimes, many times, that God speaks increase and multiplication into us us, is when we're in a time of loss and barrenness. Again, what I hear is not 
what I see. But this is where faith and obedience comes in. This is where the promise of God will be tested the most in our life. God spoke to Abram and gave him a great promise between Bethel and Ai. And immediately the Bible said there was a famine in the land. Joseph was given a dream by God and then immediately thrown down into a pit and sold into slavery. David was anointed king of Israel but sent back to the pastures to tend sheep. The widow woman was promised increase by Elijah when she was preparing to die. Y'all get it? Y'all with me yet? What I hear, it's not what I see, but I hear something coming. I hear something coming. God promised that he would bring a living, breathing army back to life while Ezekiel was staring at their dry bones scattered across the valley floor. God's promise is always followed by God's testing. It's easy to trust God in times of plenty. I I, I shared with Sister Murphy several days ago, I can't get the thought out of my mind. I taught a Bible study a couple of Wednesday nights ago. When Jesus came walking to the disciples on the stormy sea, y'all remember that? That miracle of him walking on the water would not have been that big of a deal had the sea been calm. And sometimes God is the most God to us when we're in a time of the most conflict. That's why I'm pleading with people to exercise your faith. Take that word of God that you've heard all your life and live like it's evident in your life. Our greatest test of faith comes when God says, I will. And we look around, but he hasn't. I want to say that to you, Brother Donnie. The greatest test of faith comes when God says, I will. But we look around, and he hasn't. But just because he hasn't yet doesn't mean he's not going to. But in every case, no matter how long it took, God's promise has always come to pass. Peter said, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, and not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. The psalmist said, they that sow in tears shall reap in joy. He that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him sometimes when we can't see it we think it'll never happen sometimes we think that God has forgotten his word and promise but that's where faith and obedience comes in God's promise always requires oh God help me today God's promise always requires faith and obedience we have to bring that to him faith is not based on what we see faith is based on what we hear for faith cometh by the preaching of the word of God oh my in fact the very definition of faith is found in Hebrews 11. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. It's when what you hear is not what you see. 
Faith, one translation said, faith means being sure of the things we hope for and knowing that something is real even when we do not see it. Faith is simply disregarding my current circumstance. I I can't be as specific as I want because I'm casting a very large net here today. But whatever problem you're going through, whatever situation you're facing, faith is simply disregarding your current circumstance and believe in God for what He promised no matter how bleak things may seem. Y'all, uh, I heard a lot of you folks say, boy, Brother Murphy, it was so hard being home and watching folks, watching church on the screen. You should have been here at church preaching to the camera. Preach your heart out and ain't nobody here. I don't mean to offend the people that were with just staff trying to help us run the service. Sister Murphy asked them, everybody just 10 people sit way back there where, way in the back in front of the media booth. So Brother Murphy, I have somebody to look at. I ain't a television evangelist. I discovered that. But somehow in my heart I knew that if we would bring the word, God would bring the promise. And I'm watching something happen here today unfold before my eyes. It's just absolutely a divine thing. It's a miracle that we're all here today. Faith was illustrated in the life of Abraham. i got to hurry. And being not weak, the Bible said, He considered not his own body now dead. When he was about a hundred years old, neither the deadness of Sarah's womb, he staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God, being fully persuaded that he what he had promised, he, God, was able to perform. Faith is not giving up on the promise of God, even if it takes three and a half years to fulfill. In Elijah's case, faith don't give up. In Joseph's case, where it took 13 years to be fulfilled, neither does faith give up. In Abraham's case, when it took 25 years to come to pass, faith is simply realizing that I may not see it, I may not feel it, I can't touch it yet, but God said it and I believe it. Hallelujah. I feel inspired right now to tell somebody you have not because you ask not. You do not make evident in your life what you hear. You live what you see. You have not because you ask not. And I, not only do I believe, but I'll act on it even when others don't understand. Pastor does that often. People wonder what's going on with the old man in the pulpit up there. But I'm acting not on what I see, but what I hear. Oh, God, I feel the Holy Ghost. If God said it, we must be willing to believe it. We, we must be like Peter when Jesus told him to throw his nets out again. We may not always believe anything will happen, but our attitude and our heart must always shout as loud as we can. Nevertheless, at thy word, I don't see it, but I'm going to obey what I'm hearing. I know y'all are probably waiting for the, the sermon to keep going 
But if y'all just get so excited you can't stand yourself anymore, we'll shut it down. I can finish this later. Y'all don't have to just sit there and, and wait and wait and wait. So you just do what you want to do here today. Okay? Elijah's vision called for an abundance of rain. Not a sprinkle, not a heavy dew, not a quick shower, but an abundance. But immediately after the vision was given to Elijah, his servant saw nothing. Now let me show you three things quickly about this story that I believe applies to our church today. First of all, it's overcoming the obstacle of history. The first obstacle that man, the man of God had to overcome to instill faith in his servant, to keep going looking for that cloud and everyone around him was their history. It hasn't rained in over three years. What makes you think it'll happen now? Ask Joseph. I haven't seen God do anything in 12 years. Ask Abraham. We haven't had a baby in 25 years and you're still believing that stuff? Yes, I am. Why? Because God said it. He didn't see anything happening, but he heard. Hallelujah. If you're here to think this is the way it's always been, what makes you think things will change now? If that's your attitude, just sit by and watch because God is not nearly through with this world. Brother Dave preached a couple of Sundays ago God's promise for revival. He said, I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh. If you've been accustomed to famine, don't try to make me think we can feast now, people might say. We might have been accustomed to what's going on in the past three months. I ain't living there no more. I never did move there, actually, but I'm sure not living there now. I can tell you that because I hear a sound. I hear a sound. You may say the way it's always been is the way it's always going to be, not in God's economy. Whenever God desires to move in a group of people who have been used to do things being done in a certain way, He has to overcome the mindset that things will never change. We must be able to believe that God can do more now than He's ever done and it's not because God gets better and better it's the more conflict we have in our lives the more the sea is tossed the more we see Jesus that had never seen him on calm water and often it's in the church that he can't work in the midst of the people he loves, the ones he desires to bless, that many times he encounters the most resistance. It's in his own hometown that the Bible said he did not many works there because of their unbelief. Let me hurry on. If you all fast forward with me back there. The second thing we struggle with sometimes is when you see nothing. The servant went six times and saw nothing. This is when it's hard to believe. You've been in a drought and a prophet comes along and gives you fresh hope and the pastor comes and preaches a message that builds your faith and said things don't have to be like they've always been. Abundant rain is on the way and you get up tomorrow full of faith, full of expectation, eagerly rushing to the window to witness the deluge of rain and there you see it again just like every other day for the past three and a half years 
years. Cloudless skies, bright sunshine, hard baked ground, no crops, and dust swirls twisting along the ground, the brown tundra that you used to call a yard. And your faith plummets again, even lower this time, because you've always had your hope so high that maybe today will finally be the day that things change for good. Just as the Bible said that after the promise there was a sore famine in the land, after the promise that God makes you and me, there are many times famine that follows. I've told you this story many times. But nobody knows how I felt. When I stood up that Sunday morning in the Baker Church, Boo and Melanie was there, others was there, Cassie was there, and prophesied that God was going to give our church $1 million and went and sat down. It was a long time before it came to pass, but it came to pass. That was a time when what I heard was truly not what I saw. (laughs) And I didn't see it for a long time but you're sitting in that $1 million promise right now. That's where it came to pass. Yes, it did. There were times when I thought, oh, well, I guess it's just not going to happen. Things aren't really going to change. It's just me getting my hopes up. I kept coming back to the pulpit Sunday after Sunday, scanning the horizon, waiting for the rains of revival. And for several years, I never saw a thing. But I couldn't get that sound, Brother James. Y'all were there. I couldn't get that sound out of my ear. But one day, and I can't explain why, and I can't explain how it all happened, but I watched God and His amazing ability bring it to pass. When I looked for a cloud the size of a man's hand, God was making black the whole horizon. God don't fool with the size of anything when it comes to measuring with the hand of a man. That's a new revelation I never saw before. Man's hand could never create a cloud with abundance of rain in it. God has to do that. Preach that another day. That's my thought. So I'm here to tell you again, stepping out on faith again, where others see smallness. I see abundance. Elijah took and looked at a small thing and saw abundance. He said to his servant, go up now and look toward the sea. And he went up and looked and said, there is nothing. There's people here today that need amazing things accomplished in your life. You need the baptism of the Holy Ghost. You need to be baptized in Jesus' name, your marriage, your kids, all of that. And you hear a sermon like this, and you wake up tomorrow, and you don't see anything happen. For, for folks here today, uh, there's some of you folks I could walk down and touch you on the shoulder. The reason you haven't seen it happen is because you don't stick to it long enough for God to do it. 
You know, it's kind of like leaving Christmas Day before Santa Claus arrives and then complain you didn't get anything for Christmas. Y'all understand that analogy. But, Pastor, I want all of that out there. That's what's tearing you apart is what's out there. So Elijah said, go again. And he went seven times. You know the story. And finally he came back and he said, behold, there rises a little cloud, a little cloud, a little cloud. Like, okay, brother Elijah, what are you going to do? With your little cloud. Y'all feel me? Elijah jumped at his feet and he told Ahab, you better prepare your chariot, buddy, because you're fixing to get flooded out. And he based that prophecy on a cloud the size of a man's hand. Let me explain something to you about that little cloud. From Barnes's note, a very reputable commentary, he said, A little cloud. Sailors knew full well that such a cloud on the far horizon is often the forerunner of a violent storm. Sailors knew that. If Elijah's servant would have been a sailor, he would have said, Elijah, you're right, man. Oh, God, we better get out of here. We're going to have to have scuba diving equipment if we're going to survive this. But he wasn't a sailor. And if we were true people of faith, you could look at the tiniest amount of God working substance in your life and get excited. And as David said, you would run through a troop and leap over a wall because to a person of faith that little cloud means a violent storm is coming. Stand with me this morning. Jameson Fawcett Brown Bible Commentary said about the little cloud, the clearness of the sky renders a smallest speck distinctly visible. And this is in Palestine, the uniform precursor of rain. It rises higher and higher and becomes larger and larger with astonishing celerity or speed till the whole heaven is black and the cloud burst in a deluge of ruin, of rain. We have a hard time looking at tiny things and thinking abundance. But small things quickly become big things when God is in them. Skipping down to Job chapter 8, verse 7. Though thy beginning was small, God said to Job, yet thy latter end should greatly increase. So I wonder if anyone today is beginning to see what I'm hearing. Is there anyone who will go just one more time to the horizon And look for the promise. The first six times that Elijah sent his servant to the horizon, if you'll look at the screen, you'll see what he saw. That's what he saw. 
no evidence of rain anywhere. But on the seventh time, Elijah said, go again. And this is what he saw. A cloud the size of a man's head. I tell you, I'm feeling, I felt the presence of the Lord rumbling since I walked to this pulpit today. I'm sorry I cut a little bit out. But you get the point. There's people here today that are still bound to habits and lifestyle and attitudes because you refuse to see what you've been hearing. You're blinded. You refuse to receive it. There's people here today when it comes to a relationship with God is like a bottle rocket. It's good for a week or two and then a calamity hits. You don't understand that God is going to test your faith. He's going to try your faith. You don't run up here and go da-da-da-da-da-da-da and everything turns into a bed of tulips. It don't work that way. But when you say, I believe in God, God's going to say, okay, let me see how much. And He's going to test you. And He's going to try you. But if you keep coming back, if you keep coming back, that is what you start with. And it don't look like much. But when you understand God's purpose, it gets huge and magnificent and glorious. There's a couple here today. I'm not going to say who. I don't want to embarrass anybody. Their marriage was on the rocks when I met them. Yes, it was. It was over. It was very clear it was over. And Pastor persuaded them to go look one more time at the promise of God. And they saw that. Now, their kids are in church. Some of their grandkids have been baptized and are seeking for the Holy Ghost. You know why? Because they kept coming back. And the more they came back, the more that cloud grew. And the blessing of God just expands. I I would to God that somebody would try this today. Just try it and commit. God... I'm going to give you six months of my life, unrelenting, without fail, without give up. For six months, I'm going to sell out to faith and see what happens. I challenge you to do it. You're going to walk some rocky paths. You may even go through the valley of the shadow of death. But if you'll keep coming, and don't let the lives of other people be your primary example. Because man fails. I failed. Everybody fails. Don't look at that as an example. Look to him and his promise. And he always comes through. If there's somebody here today that has experienced what I'm talking about, you live what I'm talking about, you're under that awesome umbrella of God's blessing and promise, I want you to shout yes and clap your hands today to the Lord as a witness to the promise of God. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. I'm one of them. I'm one of them. I've lived this for years, and I've been blessed more than I can count.
not see what you've just heard but that doesn't mean it doesn't exist boy I missed time that clock I got 12 and a half minutes that's a shame have you ever laid in bed at night and you're almost asleep and you hear something You hear that noise, and you get up, and you're go check for a burglar outfit, which is whatever you went to bed in. They're usually the same. And you just look, you got a ball bat, or a gun, or a golf club. And you walk all through your house, and there ain't nothing there. That's kind of what I'm preaching today. Except in this house today, there is something here. I hear a sound. I could tear this building up right now. I can't see it, but I hear a sound. There's somebody in our house right now, and he's not coming to steal and to rob and to destroy but he's coming that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly all right i'm going to be real respectful and I'm going to give a lot of respect to those who are still very concerned about the COVID thing and all that. I'm going to give a lot of respect to that. But anybody, everybody, as they begin to sing, I want us to gather around the front, and I want you to bring your spiritual golf club and your ball bat, not to beat Jesus with it, but beat the devil out of this house so God can have his way. Oh, God. Oh, God. Oh, God. Y'all sing. Everybody come. If you want to, let's gather around the front. Everybody that wants to. And I want you to come seeking after that sound. God, I want to hear that sound. God, I want to hear that sound. This is for everybody. 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 God, I want to hear it. God, I want to hear it. I want to see it. I want to see evidence of the omnipresence of God. If you're coming today with a need in your life, why don't you throw your hands up in the air and say, God, I hear it. God, I hear it. Oh, God, I hear it. God, show us your glory. Show us your glory.